The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, (coughs) Olivia Parr-Rood. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights. I'm your host, Olivia Parr-Rood. Each week on Quantum Business Insights, I explore the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world. My hope is that through deep dialogue and inquiry, we'll discover new perspectives and approaches that can help us all be more successful in our business. I especially want to draw attention to those systems and processes that take advantage of what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. So the topic for today's show is integrating collaboration with competition in business, government, and society. And I'm delighted to have as my guest a friend, Michael Sussman, founder of On Track America, which is a nonprofit organization helping the North American rail industry and government collaborate collaborate across agencies, companies, regions, and other stakeholder groups. Michael also has a consulting company, Strategic Rail Finance, where he and his team apply collaborative principles to financing the most challenging situations. This allows him to create funding breakthroughs for his clients that incorporate multiple lenders and government entities. So you can imagine how challenging that is. Michael's new company, Enact Solution, is developing... um, a software program, which facilitates his work. And I don't want to say any more because I'm going to let him tell you about it. But finally, what I love about Michael's approach is that he designed his career in railroad finance, government consulting, and multi-party relations with the specific intention of forging new ground in aligning commercial activity and related public policy to support the long-term best interests of the common good. Michael, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Yeah, thank you so much, Olivia. I've been looking forward to this uh, event uh, ever since you invited me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So, Michael, you seem to be a businessman that seeks to work with government at a time when so many are decrying government and promoting business as a solution to our biggest challenges in our society. Why do you take this approach? Do you not think the private sector is capable of solving these problems? Well, thanks. That's a, that's a great question. I, I found in relating to folks in, in government that they have a what, – what is now no longer surprising to me, but they have a surprising commitment to impacting the areas that their agency or department is involved in. And I think that just that perspective alone and that, and that came from going to Washington – 
over and over and over again uh, throughout the 90s and uh, and ever since. And, you know, they're among the best and brightest in the country that go there. And I, I found that it's not the the people that's the problem. There's nothing inherent about people in government, but our systems for thinking together and coordinating uh, with business uh, fall short. And then so often folks in business appeal to government from the perspective of a narrow vested interest. And our work is about expanding the playing field so that business and government can coordinate much better together. So you see really business can't do it by itself, that it really needs the government kind of structure and the the expanded connection, would you say? Yeah, the, there's so much that government can't do, but then there's so much that, that business really can't do. And, and I see the role of government really as the facilitator and, and coordinator of the various interested parties. And in that role, you know, government can be so effective and in many ways is effective. Um, but they're so often hamstrung by that we don't really yet have the forums and the methods in place to do large scale systemic coordination and collaboration. And as you said, a lot of the time businesses have their own interests and maybe don't see the greater good as one of their goals. So it really would take something like the government to guide them. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. The, the, um, I believe that what we have in, in business is that we've adopted a, a driving principle and we adopted it primarily in the United States in the 19th century when we were really looking at what it, what the role of, of business was going to be and what the role of government was going to be and how were they going to relate to each other. And we really adopted the driving principle of competition and expecting, mm. you know, and, the, and that's where I believe that we went astray and it's, it's time to really bring forward a new driving principle. So, so you're advocating for collaboration and business is advocating for competition and actually selling it as the solution. Um, but they seem to be really opposing forces. How do you see that playing out in business and economics? Well, I think if we, if we look at uh, where competition has gotten us, in both business and society and community and now what we're seeing in government is that it's really an incomplete and insufficient principle mm -hmm. for organizing, you know, systems and, and large commercial arenas. Well, how so? Well, there's competition in certain areas, mm. finite areas where the goal is to uh, have, a, have a, a market that 
allows people to come in and compete for attention, bring, you know, test their metal, bring their best ideas forward, bring their, their products forward, compete for who can be produce products the most economically. And that's appropriate for sort of particular product areas. Give me an example of that. Can you? The toothpaste. Beer, <laughs> you know, video games. Okay. But when it comes to whole arenas of industrial activity and whole infrastructure systems and whole systems for delivering important services to society and to communities, competition is not adequate for all. One, it 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 has folks think individually. And narrowly, when what's needed is thinking of the whole system and to think of not only how do I win, but how does the whole system win and how can I win by the whole system winning? Well, can I just say, too, what the first thing comes to mind is that businesses are so closely tied for for even survival to their quarterly profits. So that becomes a challenge. Is Is that true? Um. Well, you know, we certainly have structured everything around competition to this point. So there are going to be structural issues and challenges that we would need to deal with Mm -hmm. uh, as, you know, my vision and perhaps your vision and many of your listeners' vision comes to fruition where we actually do coordinate around collaboration and you know, those issues of, you know, how do we support those businesses that are enmeshed in competition uh, and even those that are enmeshed in producing goods and services that aren't good for our society? How do we support them in making the transition mm-hmm. to to producing goods and services that are positive? And I think one of the things that's been a block that's that's been there in our thinking is that as we support and demand or regulate away from more harmful activities, I think we have to also expand our thinking to include how are we going to steward or shepherd or support those companies with good people in them and good employees? How are we going to support them into more positive activities? Whereas up till now, in a competitive framework, the notion is that you know, with regulation, with new laws, with with the need to uh, to have businesses do more to address pressing social issues, that somehow they're going to just have to lose. Mm-hmm. It seems and, like it's been a stick approach up until now. Maybe you're proposing sort of a carrot, like let's reward or incent or come up with measures that actually help the company go in the in a better direction. Is that exactly? Yes, okay. that's great. So how how does collaboration, how is it useful in financial work? Maybe you could give us examples of that. Sure. Well, if I can dare take it at the, the highest level, I would, <laughs> I would, because, Go for it. <laughs> all right, good. It, and it comes all the way down to doing individual finance transactions. But when we step back and look at finance and movement of capital and investment, based on a competitive framework and a competitive drive, 
we have what I believe is the, 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 the most influential organizing principle in our civilization right now is that we are somehow supposed, not somehow, but we are supposed to, if we're smart, if we're a good businessman, if we're a good financier, we're supposed to move capital into systems and countries and regions and industries and businesses to where you get the highest return on investment. Okay. And that, that has us moving capital. And before that benefits of that capital get to expand and generate and produce synergistic benefits for the stakeholders or that community or that country, we're already taking that capital back out in terms of profits and leaving the systems, the countries, industries with as little of the benefit of that capital that came in and maximizing the benefit to those that brought the capital in. And that is what I believe is essentially really the key problem we have right now in the world and that based in collaboration, the notion would be thinking about and, and implementing capital and finance, moving into systems, countries, industries, companies in a way that maximizes the benefit of that capital to that system. And out of that, we get our return on investment. In that notion, we have we, we have allow for the collaboration amongst the stakeholders, the owners, the employees, the parties, the communities. So that's on the biggest level. And I think it's key to deriving benefit from collaboration right down to the small, smallest transactions. So based on what you were saying, it sounds like that's kind of what happened that led to the financial collapse, that people were grabbing money out before it really was distributed. <laughs> or I mean, there were obviously other problems, yes. but it was that thinking like, I'm going to just skim my profits off the top and whatever's left, there may be losses. I don't care. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Me? Yes. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm so focused on, on modeling um, what collaborative approaches to commerce and related public policy and finance would look like in the, in my case, the rail industry mm -hmm. in North America, that there's a lot of the larger economic uh, developments that I don't ground myself in, you know, it, but your question is, seems to hit the nail on the head. It's another case of moving capital in. I think we're born into that, especially in especially in the West, especially in the United States, where we're, we're, you know, if we're smart, we, we are one of the people that moves capital mm -hmm. and gets the highest return on investment as quick as possible. Yeah, I always laugh or, or kind of chuckle when I hear somebody's majoring in finance because you know the prospects of them being very wealthy are huge, and I think it's all based on that that kind of paradigm. So yeah. we're we're just on a, up to a break here. So we'll um, we're going to take a break, but uh, stay tuned. My guest is Michael Sussman talking about collaboration. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rudd. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm here with my guest, Michael Sussman. We're talking about collaboration. So, Michael... As long as I've known you, you've been involved in the railroad industry. You mentioned that. Um, why did you pick that industry? What is it about the railroad industry that you feel is so important as far as collaboration? Sure. It In the early, uh, I guess, 1983 and throughout the 80s, and we were, we were looking at the possibility of no more, you know, world war and that really the primary – form of international relations was going to shift to business. And I thought, well, if we, if we do business in the same way that we do war, in other words, if we, if we unleash competition as the primary form of interaction, then we're not going to accomplish the overall goals of peace and prosperity and sustainability through business you know, any better than we would by, you know, world war. And we really needed, I thought, a, a new model for how business is conducted. So I started looking around for, you know, all right, where am I going to, where am I going to demonstrate this? And I was introduced to a, a, a small privately owned railroad of which we have, you know, all over the United States and, and uh, Canada and Mexico 600 in the United States. And I found that it was that we move heavy weight over land on railroads on one half to one quarter of the amount of diesel fuel as the same movement on a truck and the highway system. Yet for over a hundred years now, we've been shrinking our 
network of rail lines and expanding our network of roads and highways and, and orienting much of our logistics around trucks, which uh, are necessary within an integrated multimodal system. But overall, they ca- cause a lot more pollution, congestion, traffic congestion, safety issues. And I, th- and I thought, well, well, you know, why is it that capital isn't moving toward this efficient mode of transportation? Hmm. And I thought, well, that would be an ideal place, an ideal industrial sector, particularly with its significant relations to land use and public policy, to demonstrate new principles for bringing capital into an industry. Uh, and uh, as I, you know, learned more about the industry and immersed myself in the history of it and how it was, you know, how we got to be this place at the uh, beginning of the 21st century where rail was no longer the predominant form of transportation as it was 100 years ago and i thought this is a place if i can if i can show that bringing capital into this industry in a way that produces maximum benefits to the industry that that would be the model that we that we really need in in industries and industrial sectors in the united states and around the world wow so that was yeah well, that um, so tell me some of the challenges that that came up when you started working with this kind of model. Well, I I found uh, the first thing, and it was what actually um, this was my first experience in the industry was that in solving the financing challenge of one of the smaller railroads, I saw that there was a a big dichotomy between access to capital amongst the big railroads, Mm -hmm. the large trunk lines that are publicly owned and uh, cross, you know, thousands of miles across North America, that they have ample access to capital, although not not as much as many other booming, growing industries that, you know, in technology where we see, you know, so much capital moving uh, in advance of the of the system already being built out, and that the smaller railroads were being uh, starved for capital, and the predominant thinking in the industry was toward moving as much traffic on the trunk lines and sort of diminishing the value and the attention to the branch lines. Much like we have, you know, big box retailers uh, for a while there overtaking the thinking and, and, and pushing out small local hardware stores, shoe stores, retail stores, which are now we're finding, oh, as part of a community, you want to have those small stores. That becomes the fabric of a, of a downtown community in which to build the whole town around. And I thought, well, boy, we really want to build out this branch line network and, bring capital in right from the, you know, from the whole network and that that is really how the whole railroad system could thrive much better and serve the continent better. In your, in, in answering your question about what was hard about it, it was that, that what I was advocating for and demonstrating in bringing capital to these smaller railroads went against the business model that was the dominant model of the rail industry. Oh. And 
so there you got into all of the political intrigue that whenever anyone comes into an industry with innovation, you know, has to be faced and dealt with. And I've dealt with I've dealt with a lot in that area. Well, can you share a little bit about your experience working with people in in Washington or in I guess local political circles that in in efforts to to get this financing together? Sure. Um, the railroad industry had, for a number of decades, adopted a, a, an approach toward federal government, uh, wherein they wanted to stay out of the attention of, of Congress as much as possible. And instead of being there proactively communicating and educating Congress on the value and benefits of rail transportation, they were not communicating. And we had the understanding of people in Congress and the executive branch really influenced by the trucking industry, who has a very active lobby, and that is what Congress was seeing. So I, I decided when I when I realized that, that we would start going to Washington ourselves and establish direct relationships. And really the, 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 the doors and the halls of Congress and the executive branch, to our delight, and just opened wide uh, because of the way that we were bringing this issue. And, uh, you know, if you'd like to, yeah, I could say more about that. Yeah, uh, whatever you feel like you can share um, <laughs> about whatever went on in Washington, I, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure our listeners would as well. Well, that's great. That's great. It's one of my favorite topics because <laughs> I think it's really gives us hope for what's possible in the United States, particularly at this moment. Um, yeah. Um, well, we found that when you approach Washington as we were, as um, as gentlemen, and excuse me, there's no, I haven't found the non-gender uh, <laughs> uh, parallel to as gentlemen, um, as good people. When we went there as uh, speaking um, what I call uh, grounded in you know logic, intelligence, and humanity, um, folks really were riveted to what we had to say, and 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 it's a lot of that was the power of rail transportation. Uh, rail is inherently good for any modern, well-functioning society. And carrying that message in a way that wasn't driven by any – we weren't out to get something for the railroad industry. We were out to educate Congress and the executive branch about the benefits of having rail the, – the role of railroads increased in our overall transportation system. So we weren't there on behalf of a client that was paying us money. We were funding it ourselves, and we went there to communicate and educate. And we would literally see people, in the, the folks we'd meet with, chiefs of staffs and, and legislative directors, congressmen and senators themselves, they would get to the 10-minute point in a meeting. And for anybody that's gone to Washington, somebody will have schooled you in that you're supposed to get your whole point across in 10 minutes because that's how much time they give anybody coming from the outside. And we would see them physically sort of do all the motions of, of packing up and closing up a meeting 
with their papers and, and notebooks and such. And then at 12 minutes, they'd settle back down again. Wow. And, yeah. We'd be there, you know, 45 minutes later, still speaking uh, with, you know, I, I'll never forget uh, uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler sitting there with staff coming in three times in a row to pull him out of a, an hour long meeting with us. And we had just met him. And I, we, we found that, and people, we know what I'm going to say to be true because they would say to us, Michael, we've come, we came to Washington to make a contribution. There's so little opportunity here. It's so, it's so, uh, the system really gets us down, but we're really empowered that you came here with this approach. Um, and anything we can do for you, this office is available to you. So they really understood it, it sounds like. Very much so. Very much so. And we, go ahead. Well, well, I was just curious. You said that the rail industry made a decision a while ago to not have a big voice in Washington. Do you know why they would have done that? You know, there's, there's, um, if we go back to the moment in North American history when really the only way to effectively travel long distances was on a railroad. Mm-hmm. There were there were next to no roads. The roads that there were 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 muddy and and uh, uh, all kinds of barriers. And lo and behold, we started have having uh, uh, you know the 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 internal combustion engine empowering uh, you know individual vehicles, and we had this possibility of of an alternative form of transportation to railroads. And plus, we needed to build out more of our transportation system to get, you know, off of the rail lines. And so the, the road system, you know, really took off in the early 20th century. And at that moment, given our competitive landscape for business and commerce, instead of integrating the two modes of transportation most effectively, mm-hmm. we pitted them against each other. Oh, <laughs> So as we ended up with a fantastic road system, throughout the 20th century, the rail system had challenge after challenge. And I think they they developed a, a sort of a siege mentality. Mm. And, you know, there was increasing regulation, strangling regulation and, and uh, regulation that didn't really understand what it took to, to run rail system effectively and productively and profitably. And, and they just came to see... Uh, government as the enemy, and they also came to see you know communities as 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 a problem, <laughs> you know those darn people, <laughs> and you know now they to their they have they have you know in the last ten years they have endeavored to to relate more positively all the way around, but now we have the legacy of a of a trucking system and highways you know, freight highway system that is, you know, 10 times the revenue of our railroad system, even though railroads, you know, are so effective at moving heavy weight across land. So I think that's why uh, the rail industry, you know, took this kind of a, nothing good was going to come out of government, so let's just stay away from them right. as much as we can. I always likened it to a child that hides behind a sofa with their feet sticking out side thinking that they're hiding 
when you just can't hide a railroad system. It's here. And uh, there's so much to be gained by all of us working together to address the multifaceted challenges of of building out and expanding our, our rail system, which I, I want to say is is the, the most productive freight rail system in the world. We have an outstanding freight rail system. Our message is that through coordination and collaboration across all stakeholder groups and making investments that aren't based on uh, winner, you know, those with the most money and the most power win, that we actually could double and triple our use of rail transportation within a balanced transportation system. Well, um, that's so interesting. And when we come back, I want to, we're up on a break. I want to talk about how this might apply to other industries. But um, I'm just curious, it's, or what your perspective is, because it seems like the trucking industry is, it's easier to be a sole owner because you've got use of the, the highways. So, Many people could start trucking companies. They don't have to work together. But the railroad, inherently, you've got a partner, right? Because there's nowhere to go if you want to get a long distance and don't own the tracks. Is that a fair statement or one of the challenges? Yeah, I love that question. Um, The railroads, uh, we have the benefit of of privately owned railroads in in the United States. Uh, They pay taxes, real estate taxes, on their right-of-way. They maintain their right-of-way, so it's an important component of our infrastructure system that does not cost us or the government, um, whereas we have a, a highly subsidized highway system for moving freight, and that plays all kinds of havoc on the economics of and the supposed competition between railroads and, and trucks. It's, oh. uh, yeah, so, yeah, no. I... I <laughs> the, the playing field's not really even, is what you're saying. No, no, and it's 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 um, you know it it it's there are it's an interesting thing about transportation. We have such significant subsidization of transportation, whether it's that we don't have a carbon tax, you know, hardly anywhere in the world, and it means that long distance transportation that essentially is the you know one of the driving forces of globalization we're not really pricing into the marketplace all the costs of air pollution congestion and road infrastructure i see so let's take a break i think i do want to take that concept and and expand upon it but we're kind of running over so um stay tuned my guest today is michael sussman we're talking about collaboration uh, i'm olivia parrut we'll be right back comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. 
At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, I'm Olivia, and my guest today, Michael Sussman, is uh, talking, sharing about his experience in the railroad industry and working with collaboration. And before the break, we were saying how we've been set up to be a competitive society and that in the examples of the railroad industry, it's been set up to compete with the highway system, and yet the deck is stacked against the railroad industry because it's mostly privately owned and the highway system is heavily subsidized. Uh, so I wondered if there's other types of industries or sectors in our economy where this same dynamic is happening, where it's maybe too much benefit to a small group of people and not benefiting the greater good. Do you have some other examples that you could share along those lines? Well, I'll, I'll do my best. That's a, that's a great question. And, um, it's my experience that across the important, the, the most important, uh, areas of, of society, whether it's medicine, power distribution, power generation and distribution, forestry management, agriculture, that we tend to rely on and think that somehow competition is going to bring forward the best products and services in service to, to society. And that, that what happens in reality is that we're continually uh, bouncing back and forth between who wins at that in that particular moment in history and in in the competitive landscape, and that's really insufficient to delivering. Particularly now, when we're when we have a heightened realization that the the external impacts of these large industrial systems are really what's causing the most problem that for all the good we get from agriculture, we can no longer afford to have polluted rivers from, from too much fertilizer. We, you know, for, for all the good we get from, from high tech medicine that produces a lot of profits for those manufacturers and deliverers of, of that technology that, we, we now need to have medical systems that include alternative healing modalities. Mm-hmm. And competition is a stagnating force 
in those arenas because it's not that high-tech Western medicine is bad and alternative medicine is good or preventative medicine is all good. It's that we need, we need all of it. And competition in the marketplace doesn't allow for the kinds of synergies and integration and collaboration that we need to have to take advantage of the efficiencies that are available from alternative methods and new methods and innovation. Um, it, and, and so in each of these major arenas, um, part of the, the, I'd say the biggest part of the problem is, is or a big part of the solution is that we need to unshackle ourselves from relying on competition. Uh, that is, takes more than just, uh, you know, even you and I talking about it as much as um, we hope that President Obama and, uh, and Vladimir Putin are listening to us. <laughs> there are, there are, we've built up our key regulatory systems around competition and antitrust so that you know at the core of the of the government systems that we rely on to quote regulate competition they're organized around adjudication and punishment and dispute resolution mm-hmm. not dispute resolution just just regulating restricting punishing and that there we haven't yet installed forums and methodologies for the kind of collaboration we're talking about, particularly here in, you know, in the United States. Well, in, in, in most of, uh, in many parts of the world, we, we make industrial coordination and collaboration illegal. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Well, and so this may tie in, but you once said to me, capitalism is an economic system that drives capital towards the least efficient mode within our major commercial systems. And that seems to go against the option of capitalism being a force for best practices and products. So there's, it's that where the tension is? Yeah, I think very much so. I think, and that's, that's uh, really at the heart of why I saw the railroad industry with such an inherent good that it provides to, to our country and yet underutilized that, you know, we really needed to solve the issue of, um, of capital moving toward the least efficient modes. Uh, I think simply put, you know, capital right now goes to where to the, inef- the, the inefficiencies are, are so often where the profit is, the consumables. Uh, in, in transportation, uh, asphalt and concrete roadways and rubber tires have tremendous amount of friction. That's why they're both wearing out all the time. Oh. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where the capital flows to more asphalt, more concrete, more rubber tires. And railroads as a business, as an industry, at its at its core, takes advantage of the almost frictionless relation between a, a, a hard steel wheel and a hard steel rail. You know, these basic elements of our earth um, 
that when put underneath the still great invention of a wheel allows you to move heavy weight so much more efficiently. So there's, there's the whole dynamic of capitalism that when we really tell the truth about it doesn't flow toward the most efficient modes. It, it, it flows toward in, in this system companies that can somehow dominate a marketplace or a system or an industry and hold on to, you know, that uh, control and play it out for, you know, years and decades. So it sounds and, like you could characterize the railroad industry, even though it's an older industry, as more of a green industry, really, or sustainable, right? It's, yes, so much. It's, yes. There, I, I always say there's, there's very few public policy issues that are as clear as the efficient uh, the efficiency of, of rail transportation. Uh, and that, so it, it therefore provides quite an interesting case study on why it isn't, why it isn't invested in and funded so much more. Um, and that, you know, when we, when we bring the proper light to this issue over the coming years as an extension of the groundwork we've laid in On Track America, it's going to be a model for all other industries where as we, you know, if we think about moving capital in a way that improves the whole system, mm-hmm. not just a project here and a project there. And I can say, you know, so much of, of how we're approaching infrastructure now, we're, 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 we keep relying on competitive uh, application uh, programs where we pit states and projects against each other. To, right. And then we decide which individual projects we'll give money to rather than thinking of what do we need for the whole system to be more efficient. We would get much better return on our, on our capital that way than relying on competition and then picking individual projects. That makes so much sense. So we're up on a break, and uh, when we come back, I'd like to see flesh out a little more about how this translates, this model that you say could could work in other industries, um, and maybe your vision for the world. So stay tuned. I'm Olivia Parr-Rood with my guest, Michael Sussman, talking about collaboration. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? 
Tune in for the second stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, this is Olivia, and I'm here with Michael Sussman. We're talking about collaboration. Michael has spent his a recent career working within the railroad industry to understand how to build partnerships between the public and private sector. And, you, Michael, you really focused on finance as a way of working with collaboration, and usually that's kept very secret, but you're often speaking and publishing all the details about what you're doing. What drives you to share about your work? I think the, that we'll all be much more intelligent uh, and we'll be intellig- more intelligent as a society and a civilization when we uh, take the lid off of what we are individually doing and, and uh, make the system around uh, sharing best practices, uh, making discoveries and uh, quickly proliferating the the uh, results of that discovery. Um, I think we're seeing that with the uh, open source software movement uh, where you can still be profitable and you don't have to keep your ideas and your, and your thoughts so close to the vest and, and control the whole process. Uh, if it's a good idea, people will embrace it. People will see um, you as a leader, as a knowledge leader in an, in an area. And my commitment in finance is to expand railroads access to capital and, and rail projects access to capital. If, you know, when and when and if that happens, uh, dramatically, you know, I can move on to other things. It's a big world. There's lots of uh, issues and situations that need addressing. And um, so I, I am out to uh, not create a, a finance model that only I get to benefit from or, or my company and our clients, but the whole industry and the whole you know, world gets to benefit from. So I believe that, you know, I should share it and that we – should move toward a commercial system where that's the name of the game. We're, we're all about um, making things more efficient, and then we can all go to the beach at some point, hopefully. <laughs> well, so um, so what is your vision for the world? Like, what would be needed to bring that into fruition? My vision is that coordination and collaboration for the sustainable well-being of all becomes the fundamental operating principle of all economies and, and governments and societies. 
that, and that we adopt for our commercial activity and for our governance, coordination and collaboration, um, and for, for all. So I am endeavoring through my activities, uh, exploring, uh, in business, the benefits of collaboration to create a model for how business and government can relate in, you know, all industries and all societal issues. And it's my intention that this becomes a, an international, uh, uh, that it be, gets embraced internationally, that, that we move toward, toward, uh, new constitutions and governing systems grounded in coordination and collaboration across stakeholder uh, groups. Wow, I would love to see that happen. So I mentioned at the beginning that you're actually developing a software that can help organizations, uh, private and public entities to work together. Can you tell us a little bit about the software and, and what's going on with it and where you see it going? Yes, yeah, sure. We're, we're, we're in development and, and, uh, this is a concept that we, um, teased out, uh, over the last 10 years, working with the government groups and industry groups, often bringing them together to explore, you know, how do people, what do people like most in a well-facilitated in-person meeting? And how can we create that dynamic, uh, both in in-person meetings, but also primarily on online, not necessarily with what's called um, synchronous uh, time frame, where everyone has to be on in the meeting at the same time. But how can you have what are called asynchronous? Interactions where people can participate in a dialogue at their convenience, yet the dialogue builds and is organized and is facilitated in the way that we like best about in-person facilitated meetings. And we're, we're, we're developing the software platform for that process. Well, so what is it called? Can you share that? <laughs> sure, sure. It's called Enact. Okay. And uh, the 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 company is called Enact Solutions. The movement is called Enact that will house and promote this, and that's um, you know E dash N A C T. We're you know, we're very excited about it. I mean, this is really uh, out of the observations that I made during all the years of interacting with the Congress, executive branch, um, uh, foundations in Washington, state governments, local governments, and, and uh, business and the rail industry. I found that there was so – there's no lack of intelligence there are so many intelligent, experienced, thoughtful, and committed people. Mm-hmm. It's 
what what our methods and our uh, for coordinating that intelligence and building that intelligence and creating the kind of synergistic experiences and dialogues and interactions uh, from that intelligence are woefully short and that that's really what we need and that as much as we've had the great promise of the internet it it that promise hasn't been realized yet and uh-huh. that we really needed to we really needed to invent the program to 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 that can effectively and efficiently make use of people's time in thoughtful multifaceted dialogues so it's actually taking what you learned from the private sector and from the public sector and building it to coordinate together that sounds amazing is uh is it something that will sit on a cloud or are there different ways that it'd be accessed sure um well it it we will be developing it in what's course in what's called the open source model so that once we once we complete our development uh and actually i mean even before completing the development will it'll be available for people to start contributing to and and teasing out and 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 adapting for uh, you know multiple uses and um uh we have the you know the team in place and we're we're in high gear on this and we're we're planning to begin convening the kinds of large scale uh multi stakeholder dialogues in the transportation field that's great uh, i just want to we're about out of time so i just wanted to to say that i'm really excited to hear that this is coming uh and i want to thank you so much for being my guest today i hope you'll come back maybe we can talk about this the software sounds like a, a, a just an exercise in collaboration once you launch it so i want to have you come back and and uh you know give us an update so thank you so much for being here today thank you olivia it's been a pleasure and an honor You're welcome. So next week, we're going to explore holacracy, purposeful organization through social technology with, as he calls himself, recovering CEO and partner at Holacracy One, Brian Robertson. So be sure to check my host page on voiceamerica.com for full details. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud. Thank you for tuning to Quantum Business Insights. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.